anybody has not heard David speak yet? Okay, there are a few of you. He's a, a prophet around the world. I don't say that lightly. I've been around the church for 50 years, and there's very few people that I would say that about. And he has an authentic gift from God, and he is an overseer over this church, and we love him to bits. Come, David, we welcome you. Come on, will you give a shout to Jesus this morning? Jesus, we love you. We lift you up. We magnify you. Lord, we declare there's no one like you. There's no one but you. We know that if you would be lifted high in Sarasota and Bradenton and Sarasota County and Manatee County, that Lord, if you would be lifted up, you would draw all men, all people unto yourself. So Lord, I pray right now that you would come and make yourself irresistible in this community and in this house this morning, that Lord, you wouldn't just come and touch us, but you would come and transform us. You would change us that when we walk out of here, Lord, we would look like a reflection of Jesus Christ in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. It's great to be with you this morning. And, uh, I'm so excited to be out of the cold. And I was in, I was in Norway this week and then home for two days in Nashville. And, and so I saw snow and sleet. And, uh, so anytime winter feels like summer, uh, feels like home to me. Uh, and so it's good to be uh, in the house of God today and good to have to use air conditioning in January again. Amen. Uh, and, uh, so it's great. And, uh, y'all are beautiful this morning. And, uh, you know, I feel pretty myself. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, listen, I believe we're the most beautiful people on the face of the planet because we're God's people. Amen. And, uh, when you look like your father, when you look like, uh, Jesus, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing for the world to see. Hey, we were singing that song a little while ago in the chorus. It was holy, holy, holy. And uh, I got to thinking, you know, every time you read in the Bible of, of angelic encounters, you read uh, angels talking, singing. It seems like they only have one thing to say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they keep saying it over and over and over again. You ever wonder why? Uh, I, I was having this conversation with God. I was reading through and these things just kept jumping out at me. And I, I just asked the Lord an honest question. I wasn't being sacrilegious or, or, or a smart aleck about it. I just said, God, don't, don't they ever get tired of saying the same things? And this is what he said. He said, oh, no. He said, every time they see my holiness, they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They cover their eyes. And when they open their eyes again, they see another dimension of my holiness they've never seen before. So every time it's a new song. I don't know about you. I want to see him different every time I open my eyes. I want to see another dimension of his holiness, of his goodness, of his kindness, of his grace, of his mercy, of his, of his righteousness. I want to see another dimension of that every time I open my eyes, every time the scripture is open. I believe it's very important in this day and age not to become blinded by the familiar. Don't, don't get blinded by an idea of God or, or, or church. I think the days of predictable church should be over. So if you know how it's going to end before it starts, you should just stay in your recliner or watch online. But I know this. I've gone to church and not been changed, but I've never been in the presence of God where something in me did not shift, change, or get completely transformed. And so aren't you glad we're in the presence of God today? And I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for the harvest. I'm thankful for mornings like this in the presence of God. This morning, I just happened to open my Bible app just for my morning reading. I don't just read the Bible for a sermon. I think that's important for a preacher. Because we can get in ruts where we just read the Bible for another sermon. I think sometimes even in our life, we just open the Bible because it's the right thing to do or you need a scripture. So you do the old point, uh, you know, you open the book and point, but uh, I, I just, I have my Bible app and I read it this, you know, every morning to just kind of refresh me. And in the, in the light of communion today, I thought it fit just so perfect. Second Corinthians five nineteen says that all of this is a gift from God. Isn't that amazing? Salvation is a gift. Healing is a gift. Redemption, restoration. Everything God gives us is a gift. That really helps me because it, it, it means I can't earn it. I don't earn it. I don't pay for it. I don't have to buy it. And I don't have to beg for it. It's a gift. What do you do with a gift? You have to receive it. 
Come on, right now. I, I believe this morning God wants to give us some gifts and we need to actually to receive it. And not just receive it, but actually take time to open it up. Amen? Amen. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Isn't that an amazing task we have? Yes. Bringing people back to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Aren't you glad your sins are blotted out? Yes. Aren't you glad when he came, he, he lost all memory of every time that you did something wrong? He blotted them out. He no longer counts people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of re reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. You're an ambassador of Christ. I love that word ambassador. Do you know that an ambassador loses something when they accept the position to become an ambassador? They lose their right to their own opinion. You will never hear an ambassador or a press secretary for a president or a king say, my opinion is. If they're asked a question, they only say this, the opinion of my government, the opinion of my kingdom, the opinion of my king, the opinion of my, uh, of my president is. How many know that we now have the opinion of heaven towards people? We're ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. About a year ago, I was in Australia and it was, we had communion like we did this morning. And in the midst of taking the bread and the cup, I had this revelation. God just spoke to me uh, and it changed my life forever, but it shook me because it messed with my theology. How many know theology is just what you think about God? And you should have good theology, Bible-based theology, Holy Spirit-based theology. But he, he speaks these words to me uh, that, that shook me because there so there's so much truth in what he said. He said, Jesus didn't just die for you, he died as you. He didn't just die for my sins, he, he died as this, this reckless uh, awful sinner. He, 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 he took all of my sin, all of my defects, all of my nastiness upon himself, and he died as me. Th that changed my perspective of communion. It, 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 it's not just something I do. It's not just emblems. It's not just elements that I take, and it's because it's the second Sunday of the month or, or whenever we do it, but, but it actually it means something. It reminds me of what I'm not anymore and who I am because of him. I'll never forget. And then shortly after that, I had this vision of Jesus like I've never had before. Every uh, picture of crucifixion, every picture of Jesus on Good Friday that I've ever seen uh, is, is a beat up Jesus, right? He's blood dripping. He's torn apart. He's ripped open. He's, you know, in agony. And, and I believe that he was, he was beaten beyond recognition where he no longer looked like a human being. But, but all of a sudden I had this vision of Jesus and in the vision he was on the cross, mangled, teeth knocked out, all of those things, but he was smiling at me in this vision. And I asked the Lord, Lord, how can you be smiling at a moment like this? He said, it was for the joy that was set before me that I endured the cross. In other words, from the cross, from the place of his greatest agony, there was joy because he saw me through the cross, through the other side of his obedience, even the obedience of death, even unto death, death on the cross. See, I believe every Sunday is Easter Sunday because the cross and the grave couldn't hold him. Amen. Jesus is alive. If he's not alive, then we are the most miserable people on the planet. But because he is alive, because he did set us free, because he did die in our place, because he did die as me, man, we are no longer enemies of God, but children of God. We went from foe to friend. We went from, we went from enemy to sons and daughters of God in one moment in time. And I'm here to tell you right now that this is, this is a day like no other day in the history of the earth. I'm telling you, I'm more excited to be alive now than ever before. Because God's doing things he's never done before in our lifetime. We are about to watch 
destiny unfold and history be made and the kingdom of God advance in such a powerful way. If you were to ask me this question, Dave, what, what's God up to? I'm glad you asked. What's God up to? I, I believe that we are stepping into a year. If I were to make a declaration over every one of us in this room this morning, prophetically, it would be that this is your miracle year. Uh, I love watching the patterns of the Bible. And there are, are certain times where, where God would call a jubilee year and a seventh year and a 50th year. But how many know Jesus is your jubilee? Yes. And so I'm just declaring over you that this is a jubilee year for you. Here's what happens in a jubilee year. Everything you've ever lost gets found and returned. Yeah. Everything ever stolen from you gets paid back with interest. Everything you owe suddenly gets wiped out. Anybody need a jubilee year? Yeah. Two, two weeks into 2019, I need a do-over. I need a, I need a, I need a jubilee year. Amen. Come on, I, this isn't fantasy. This isn't wishful thinking. I'm prophesying to you this morning that God is about to bring you into a season of, 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 of restoration and redemption like never before. And when we're listening to that song, I am redeemed, and the stories of people holding those signs. How many know we are the redeemed of the Lord? Amen. Right? Uh, Pastor Peggy quoted it uh, out of Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yeah. One translation says, it, have you been redeemed? Then speak out. Tell the world what God's redeemed you from so they too can understand redemption. Come on, you're the voice. You're what redemption looks like. I love watching those things. They're, you know, the, the testimonies of this house, hearing the testimony this morning, watching the video. It, it should do something in you, right? Do you know there's a song in you that makes, that makes angels jealous? There's a song you can sing that angels can't sing. It's the song of the redeemed. They don't know what it's like to be redeemed. Come on, there's something in you, a sound in you that, that God is creating, that he's causing to rise up inside of us this morning. It's a miracle year. It's a jubilee year. It's a redemptive year. It's a restorative, it's a restorative year. And I believe God's moving us into a new place, into a new place of understanding. Revelation is opening up to us. See, I believe this morning that, that God has each one of us here on purpose. It's not by accident. You're here because God has something for you. He wants to partner with you. He wants to connect with you. He, he wants to reveal himself in a way that draws you closer to him. One of my uh, favorite stories in the Bible uh, to me is a, is a story that it's amazing, but at times it's a little bit like a roller coaster. You ever read the Bible and you feel like you're on a roller coaster? Like you feel like you're getting to a good part and then all of a sudden somebody else gets smited. And, no, I'm just kidding, right? But I don't even know what smited means. Yeah, he's smitten with me, not smited with me, right? I admit I'm irresistible. I mean, I may not be the most anointed man on the planet, but come on, I am easy on the eyes, right? It's, it's, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, but in chapter Mar in the book of Mark, chapter five, come back, Holy Spirit. Uh, in the book of Mark, chapter five, uh, verse twenty-one. Bible says these words. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came. Jairus was his name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Now you have to understand the setting. Jairus is self-sufficient. Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue, which means he has political power. He has religious power. He has influence in community. Everybody knows him. And because he has influence and because of his position, he's also affluent. So he can pay for whatever he needs. He can do whatever he needs. He can order whatever he needs. And it happens. Everybody knows him. Everybody reveres him. Some people probably even fear him. And he's a ruler of the synagogue and people look up to him. And as you know, as Jesus is on the scene, how many know Jesus isn't very popular among religious people? 
right? He, he's actually confrontational to religious systems. He's, he's messing with people's belief systems and their rituals and, and why they do what they do and why they think what they think. And, and he's basically bringing the kingdom to people who can't recognize him, although they've looked for him his whole life. Are you hearing me? And, and so he's undoing them. He's, 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 he's up in their business, so to speak. He's kind of an outcast. He's, he's, a, he's a rebel. And so now you have this man named Jairus who's at a place where he's paid all the doctors he can. He's found all the people he can come to help, all the holy men that could come and pray, all the rabbis that knew how to do all the stuff that they do. And his daughter is now at a place of death and he has no other choice, no other option, but Jesus. How many know if that's your only choice, your only option, that's a good place to be, right? People ask me all the time, David, how come, you know, you see miracles all around the world? How come, you know, see all these phenomenal things in other places, but we don't see them in America? Understand that I've seen three people raised from the dead in Africa. I've seen uh, a person that didn't have an eye. God grew the eye back. I've watched as a limb. Somebody was, uh, had an amputation at the elbow and God grew out the, the rest of the arm and the hand. I've, I've seen the lame walk. I've seen the deaf hear. I've seen the miracles of the Bible in everyday life. I've seen them in Africa and I've seen them some in America, maybe not as much. But the question is, why do you see more in Africa or South America than you would see uh, in, in the Western world? And, and the truth is this. In Africa, they have no other option. Here we have all kinds of options. And I believe in doctors. I'm not do knocking doctors. I'm thankful for doctors and medicine. I've, I've watched miracles done that way. And God used people's gifts to, 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 to see people become healthy and whole. I'm not knocking at all, but there's, there's something that happens when Jesus is the only, is the only option. Amen. And so he risks his reputation. Isn't that amazing? Because all, things are, all kinds of things are being posted on Facebook and Twitter about Jesus. If they had Facebook and Twitter back then. Word, word is spreading around. People are talking about him. He's the friend of sinners. He, he sits with people like that woman at the well. He hangs out with tax collectors. He's around all of these addicted people, tormented people, people that really don't know how to behave in church. They, you know, they, they're on the fringe. They're, they're kind of out there a little bit. And that's where you find Jesus. And, and so now he has to say, he has to recognize something. I have all of this reputation, all of this prestige, but yet it cannot do what I need done. And he's, he makes himself, he, he must have said, you know what? I'm going to risk my reputation to step into a redemptive miracle. And he goes to Jesus, and, and here's a man of clout, a, a man of, of great stature, of great wealth, of great influence, of great power. And he, he lowers himself. Some of us would think that he lowered himself to a place where he was almost begging, the Bible says begging Jesus. Jesus, my daughter lays at the point of death, but if you'll come with me, if you'll come to my house, I know she'll be healed. And the amazing thing is, Jesus says, hey, cool, let's go. Do you understand that if you read the, the preface of the story for the last chapter and a half, Jesus is actually trying to get away from people. And every time he crosses over, the people are there. Every time he just tries to get away, tries to get a moment of refreshing, tries to go and be with his father. Every, every time he makes a move, people are swarming him everywhere. He, he's got lots to do. He's got places to go, people to see, things to do. And yet one man at the point of desperation, I think it was desperation married to faith. And if you ask me, those things become irresistible to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without desperation after God, I don't know if it's possible to move God. Not to the place of begging. I remember begging God to heal somebody I love very much. And the Lord said, you begging me to heal is like saying you have more compassion than I do. I don't believe I have to beg God. I can come boldly before the throne of grace. Amen? Amen. But there's something that happens when we sing that song like we used to sing maybe 10 years ago. I'm desperate for you. You're the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. I'm desperate for you. And that's how Jairus is. And Jesus starts moving with him. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And now a certain woman, also a notable woman, one translation said, a certain woman 
had a flow of blood for 12 years. Another translation says she had an issue of blood. How many know we all have issues? Hers, she had an issue of blood. She was hemorrhaging. Life was hemorrhaging from her for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She'd spent all the money that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. So she went to every church meeting, every tent revival. She sent in her $58 to partner with her miracle. She, she watched the guy on BET at 2 a.m. selling olive oil soap. And she, she bought her miracle spring water from the Jordan River that came out of the faucet in Arkansas. And she, uh, she sent in for the, the fabric of the man of God uh, that... You know, for $100, she, she went to every doctor. She went to MDs, DOs. She went to the chiropractor. She went to the naturopath. She tried the keto diet. She tried the, you know, she was on paleo. She, she fasted. She, you know, she tried it all. Uh, and, and, and yet she didn't get any better. But the Bible says she grew worse. And all of her money was spent. How many know that's a very difficult place to be? Because her circumstance and her situation in her culture made her an outcast. Nobody wanted to be around her and nobody could be around her. Every time she opened the doors to her house and was going to go outside, she had to start making these proclamations, these amazing affirmative declarations about herself. I am unclean. Stay away from me. I have an issue of blood. I am unclean. If you come near me, you're going to get unclean. How would you like to have to profess that over yourself every time you walked out of the house? The screams from her own self, the, the declaration she was making over herself were bad enough. But how about the whispers of the people that would pass her by? That would avoid her with everything when they heard her, when they saw her, would cross over the other side of the road and they, they would whisper, I wonder what she did. I heard rumors about her. I heard she slept around. I heard dad beat her mom. I heard they stole something. I heard they did something really bad. And all of these inner voices and whispering voices of culture and society would be like screams of condemnation on the inside. But the Bible says these words. But when she had spent all she had and didn't get any better but grew worse, when she heard about Jesus, she came from behind him in the crowd. I've got a prophetic word for you. This is the year that you're coming from behind. Some of you right now, you feel like you're behind. You feel like you're behind in life. You feel like you're years behind in your walk with God. You feel like you're behind. That you, you, You've lost so much time. Can I tell you something? He is the redeemer of the time, just like he's the redeemer of your soul. And some of you right now, if I know anything about the harvest, it's this. There is a come from behind anointing. I don't want to rhyme you, but if I were going to say anything that rhymed today, it would be that your setback was for your comeback. The, 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 whatever has set you back, God has, has actually designed for you to come back with a vengeance, to come back in, in fuller dimension and, and fuller dominion and revelation than ever before. When she heard about Jesus, she came from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his clothes or the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. And immediately she touched him, touched the hem of his garment, and immediately the flow of blood stopped. I wonder what would happen if we became like her. She didn't wait for Jesus to touch her. She didn't wait in the prayer line. I love prayer lines. But she came to church that day with the expectation of, I'm going to touch Jesus. What if that became our expectation? Today, I'm just going to touch Jesus. I know I've been behind. I know I've been doing things I shouldn't do. I know I've been struggling with this sickness. I know that I've had this depression. I know that I've been struggling financially. I know my marriage is on the rocks. I know that all of these things are happening around my life, but I'm not going to be a, a victim to life and circumstance anymore. I'm coming from behind, and I'm going to touch him. I'm not even going to wait for him to touch me. Yeah. Immediately, the fountain 
was no longer even a flow or an issue. It was a fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power, life, virtue had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples were saying, what do you mean, Jesus? Thousands of people, everybody's touching you. Look, I'm touching you. He's touching you. We're all touching you, Jesus. What do you mean who touched me? There's a thousand people touching you. He said, no, I felt something different. Who touched me? Who wants to possess that kind of anointing, that kind of touch that Jesus said, no, I felt something that I haven't felt before. And I'm not moving till I found out who touched me. You see the multitude thronging you, Jesus. You say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Say the whole truth. How many know the Bible says that we would know the truth and the truth would make us free? It doesn't even set me free. It makes me free. Something happens when you get honest. You'll never have true healing, full healing without honesty. Are you hearing me? Something happens when I get really honest within myself saying, I recognize that this is a fault. I recognize that this is a struggle. I recognize that something goes on here. I recognize when this happens, I respond in a wrong way. I recognize that I have an addictive personality. I recognize that, that I, I struggle with pornography. I recognize that there's something in me that when I get angry, man, I explode. I recognize that, that there's something honest about that that says, God, here I am. And Lord, I have all of these insecurities and all of these things that we saw here and this is how everybody identifies me but but Lord if I can just touch the hem of your garment today if I can just get really honest with you I know you will make me free yes. are you hearing me Amen. she tells him the whole truth and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your affliction one translation says it like this he said today your faith has made you whole now be restored to health and go on your way. He used the word restored, and his definition of restored is different than mine. If I were going to restore an old car, I would want to restore it to original condition, to make it like new. But Jesus doesn't restore me to original condition. He makes me better than I've ever been. He makes you better than original intent. God didn't just want to restore your life to the way it used to be. He wants to make it better than you've ever known it to be. Something happens when you're in that kind of a shift, when you're in that kind of a miracle moment. Here's some observations about this woman that I think apply to a lot of us. Number one, I believe this woman for most of her life, because of her issues, whether it's her issue of blood, because of the fear of condemnation, judgment, she lived in secret. She had all of these secrets. I, I grew up in a culture, in a house that this was the rule. What happens in this house stays in this house. We, we don't talk about that. You don't talk about your weakness. You don't talk about your struggle. You, it's only best foot forward. You let them see the, the, the best of who you are. And people want a strong leader. They, they don't want to see your, in your, in your inadequacies. They don't, all of those things. And can I tell you something? That's a bunch of junk. Because we live in this place that, that we're so afraid of being exposed that we never become the real people we are. In Romans chapter 12 in the message, it says, you can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, it will slip and people will see you for who you really are. It's, come on. What I love about the harvest, we're a house that takes the mask off. We don't have a church face and a world face. Come on, some of you this morning, God says, take the mask off. Come out behind the mask of secrets. Listen, secrets keep you in shame. One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to keep you in shame. It's the shame game and the blame game. Shame is different than guilt. Guilt said I did something wrong. But shame says I am something wrong. Guilt goes away when I do this. Jesus, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
I repent. I completely turn away from that. Guilt disappears. Why? I'm, no, I'm not under condemnation. But shame says you are something wrong. So every time I mess up, and even when I'm not messing up, I'm constantly saying, I'm just a poor old sinner saved by grace. That used to be true. But I'm no longer just a poor old sinner saved by grace. I'm actually a species of being that never existed before. Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Last year I was in my, I spoke at my stepfather's funeral and uh, preached the funeral, ministered the funeral. And there were teachers from my Christian high school in Chicago and people I went to school with. And they, they would come and they would see me and they said, I can't believe it. I can't believe that you're alive. We thought you'd be dead by 30. In my yearbook, I was voted most likely to be dead by 30 or be in prison. And one person nominated me for a preacher. I guess they got it right. But that was the declaration over my life. And when they saw me, they were like, we, we remember you from 1989. You, you were that mess up. You were that kid that was always in trouble. The kid that was always drunk. You, you put him up to something. This week, on the 17th of January, it's my 22nd anniversary of being born again. I don't know where he found you, but he found me overdosed, dropped dead. He, paramedics revived me. I, I was in a coma for two and a half days when Jesus came and revealed himself to me. All I can tell you is I died crazy, woke up in my sound mind. All, all I can tell you is that I died empty, but I woke up hungry for God. When he revealed himself to me, he didn't call me, hey, Alki. He didn't call me, hey, schizo. He didn't call me, hey, suicidal maniac. He, he didn't call me, hey, crazy person, hey, loser. He, he, he called me son. And he revealed himself to me in such a way that I, I felt love and peace for the first time where I could say, God, if you can love me when I can't love myself, I'll serve you the rest of the days of my life. That's why I'm here. Can I tell you something? I remember 22 years ago, but that looks nothing like me. I was much skinnier then. Still is extremely handsome, but, but just skinnier. Some of you are saying, don't lie in church. Listen. You'll get a bad prophecy if you judge me on that. Are you hearing me? C completely different. But how many know just because you're saved doesn't mean you got all, you got all your character right? So I was saved. I started serving God. I, I was about you know, two years in and I, I was kind of a prophetic prodigy. I was prophesying over everything that moved. I was working in the church. I was th this kid who'd overcome all kinds of adversity. I was the poster child of what redemption and restoration and salvation look like. And, um, and I, I met my wife, uh, actually, we went on our first date, uh, 20 years ago, uh, this week as well on the 15th. Uh, she's put up with me for a long time. Uh, and, and, and we went out on a, a date and we, we fell in love and I mean, you can't blame her, right? Uh, and, 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 but we, we had great zeal. We were both zealous for the Lord. We loved God, but our, our character, we got saved around the same time and, and our, our character just wasn't strong yet. We didn't have proper boundaries around our life and, and we fell uh, into sin multiple times. And as a result, she got pregnant and, and I remember when she got pregnant, we were like, this can't be happening. I'm on my way to ministry and it's going to be over before it starts. She's teaching in a Christian school. She's going to lose her job. We're going to lose our livelihood. It's all going to be over. And so literally we took a hundred pregnancy tests. Well, actually she took the test. I just paid for them. Um, that would be weird. Uh, and, and some of you are wondering though. Um, and, and, and we were in denial for about four and a half months. But how many know you can't hide a baby forever? <laughs> and so she was starting to show, and I knew that and people were starting to talk and rumor. And so I went to my pastor's son, who was the associate at the time, and I, I said, Len, uh, here's what's going on. And he wept with me and cried with me. And he said, now you got to go tell dad. I said, no, that's why I told you. <laughs> and I was living with his dad. His dad became like my dad. Was, you know, my spiritual dad. I lived with him for two years. And 
and he poured into me and was raising me up and I was like his poster child and uh, and and uh, and and so I every time I saw his dad that day I avoided him I would go I'd find closets to hide in I, I wouldn't show my face uh, and and that night I went home uh, to the house I I knew when he'd find out that he would kick me out so I put all of my clothes in a plastic trash bag that's all I had uh, and I was I thought for sure he'd come home and kick me out 15 minutes later I just got in the bed and I heard the garage door open and. A few minutes later, I heard these footsteps deliberately, slowly coming up the stairs. It's the first time in my life I ever heard the footsteps of a father. He knocked on the door. He said, David, is there something you need to tell me? And I said, nope. Uh, he said, well, I need to talk to you. Come downstairs. And I grabbed my bag of trash because I thought the only way that you get dealt with in church is they kick you out. Uh, and so I put my bag of clothes at the, end of the, at the end of the stairs and sat down. I told him the whole truth. And he wept with me and he said, son, I'm disappointed, but it didn't change the call of God on your life. If you go through a process, there'll be restoration. It'll be better than you could ever dream or imagine. He said, do you love Molly? I said, absolutely. We're already engaged. And he said, we're going to make it right. We're going to move up the wedding date. We're going to do these things. And I told him I felt like I, I wanted to address the congregation and at my wedding and tell them what was up. And he thought, no, that wouldn't be a great idea. And, um, but about an hour before service, he, the wedding, he said, why don't you go ahead and do that? So I stood up on my wedding day, 250 people, uh, and I told the whole truth. I said, today I'm marrying my best friend. And, uh, and uh, we fell and sinned. She's pregnant. But I'm not marrying her because she's pregnant. I'm marrying her because I love her. Amen. And the son she's carrying is not a problem. He's not an accident, but he's a promise from God. We're going to name him Benjamin. He's going to be the son of my right hand. He's going to be a mighty man of God. Uh, and, and, and something happened in that moment. When I told on myself, the devil had nothing else to say. Yeah. It, it silenced the mouth. Every, every rumor, every accusation, every swirl of all the stuff stopped. I, I'm not saying tell everybody all your stuff. They can't handle it. They don't know what to do with it. But, but I am saying there are moments where you find people who love you for you and in spite of you. Where you can be openly honest saying, this is what I'm struggling with. Why? It sets you free from the mask and the secret. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget when I got free. I was, I was sexually molested and abused as a, as a kid. And I remember when I was 26 years old and I finally got honest and, and, and talked about it to my family. I watched everybody not just be in shock, but being in relief. Here's why. I was the first one to talk about what we walked through. And my mom was able to say, you know what? That happened to me as a little girl. And I watched my mother in her 70s get set free. And I watched a sister and another friend just, just being open and honest. It gave people permission, permission to be vulnerable, to say, you know what? This is not my fault. This, this happened to me, but this did not make me. This doesn't define me. Are, are you hearing me? And I'm just telling you right now, if I were to give you a word for this year to just apply to your life personally, refuse to live a life of secrets, but choose to live a life in the secret place. The secrets of my own life will keep me from the secrets of God. Are you hearing me? And I just believe right now, I don't know who I'm talking to. But I believe just in that moment, that part of my message this morning, somebody's getting radically set free. There's permission. There's permission to say, you know what? I'm not okay. I think that's honest, man. I think that's really, really honest. I think it's really brave. I think it's really courageous. Because here's what secrets do. Here's what issues do. They create isolation or separation. We all know the Bible says sin separates us from God. I, I get that. But also my issues and struggles separate me from the people who can help me. Separate me from my family. About 10 years ago, I got hit with this crazy anxiety and fear. I was approaching, uh, I was approaching my 40th birthday. And um, my father died when I was six on his four, when he was 40. So I had this fear of early death and I didn't even really know what was happening. I just, I felt like somehow I wasn't going to be around very long. Uh, and, and I thought my dad died at 40. I'm going to die at 40. Uh, and, and I just, um, I just found myself separating myself from my family. 
because it would just be easier if I was disconnected somehow. I mean, I was there. I, I was being a good dad, a good husband, but emotionally I wasn't there. I, I was isolating. When I was walking through that thing with, with my wife before we got married, I, I found myself isolating. Can I tell you something? Isolation, separation is one of the enemy's greatest weapons. Amen. A couple of years ago, I was in Kruger National Park in South Africa. We were watching all of the big five, and as we were just watching around, um, I remember watching this zebra walking one day, and the zebra was walking up the road by himself. His head was kind of hung low, and we looked as we got close to him, that from his ear down to his throat, he had this cut. And um, the guy leading us said, oh man, that's such a sad day for this zebra. It's his last day on the earth. And uh, he got wounded, and because he got wounded, he got separated from his family, and the wound wouldn't kill him, but separation will. And he said, sooner or later today, something bigger than him is going to take him down. It's his last day on earth. And he starts weeping. It's so sad. It's so sad, he said. It's like the church. We get wounded. We isolate ourselves. And the enemy goes to and fro like a roaring lion, looking to see who he can devour. And about an hour later, we watched as vultures were circling and hyena had taken the zebra down. I'm convinced that the wound didn't kill him, but isolation did. How many know we need each other? I need you to surround me and celebrate me when things are going good, but I also need you to surround me and comfort me and celebrate me when things are going bad. Are you hearing me? The, the enemy doesn't go after the, the leader of the pack. I mean, the lions don't go after the, the, the leader of the pack. It doesn't go after the ones in the middle, but always goes at the ones on the fringes that are falling behind because they're isolated. Can I tell you something? If you see anybody in this body being isolated pulling back. They're not showing up. You find them not communicating. They're in after service starts. They leave before it ends because they don't want to have conversation. Can I tell you something? Pursue them. Pursue them. Come on. I believe more than we should be paying attention. Come on. People are not commodities. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me today? We need more than ever before to surround each other with hope and healing, there's strength when we come together. A little later on in the trip, two days later, we were stopped in the afternoon, getting ready to leave the park. And we stopped at a cantina, got some water and snacks. And we all of a sudden heard this sound and we looked and there were elephants playing. We watched for a while. We're getting ready to walk away. And there was another sound and the leader said, oh man, there's danger there. We looked and there were two male lions on the hunt in like three o'clock in the afternoon. He said, it's so unusual. You know, lions don't normally hunt in the day. It's not normally the males. And they normally don't come after, uh, they don't normally come after uh, elephants except for the fact um, that um, we've been in kind of a drought. F food is scarce. They won't take a big one, but they, they find a weak baby one, they'll, they'll take it. And so we watched and all of a sudden, as these lions began to move towards them, the, the bull elephants made this perimeter around the rest of the herd. And the females got in behind them and they filled in every gap and the teenagers behind them. And the whole time the attack was on, the kids just stayed playing, having no idea there was danger around. For 45 minutes, we'd watch. Every time the lion would move, the, 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 the elephants would adjust. Until finally the elephants frustrated the lion so much that the lion just growled and roared and walked away. To me, that's a great picture of spiritual warfare. When I'm in my place, when you're in your place, listen, nobody's getting past me. If you're struggling, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to surround you. I'm going to surround you. Come, come here, Pastor Jim. I want to demonstrate something. Up until about the last 70 years, all battles and warfare was mostly fought during the day. There was looking, aren't we looking good? Almost matchy today. Uh, and he's slightly older than me, still equally as handsome. Handsomer. But, but, hey, this, is, this is my message. You're just sidekick. Okay. So, so war, war would be fought during the day because there was no artificial light, no night vision, all of that. So soldiers would go to war by day and at night they would come back and they would get around the campfire and they would inspect each other. They would take their armor off. And they would inspect. And so I would get with Pastor Jim and I'd say, wow, you're bruised up. They hit you here. You got a little cut here. 
And he would say, man, you're, you're wounded on your, on your right side. And they cut you here and you're bruised here. And, and because we saw our wounds, we would know how to fight the next day. Hmm. So the next day, he'd be my battle buddy. And I knew he was weak on his left side. He knew I was weak on my right side. So this is how we'd go to battle. When the enemy came to his left side, I would stand in front of him and fight. And when the enemy came to my right side, he would stand in front of me and fight. And the only way they knew how to fight for each other is they saw each other where their wounds were. They saw each other with the armor off. So it was no longer, this is my mask and I'm so tough and strong, but this is where I'm weak. Are you hearing me? There's actually, it's why the Bible says these words. When I am weak, he's strong. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. Do you understand that? That actually what you've been trying to hide is the very thing that God will use to frustrate the enemy because you're about to overcome it. But, But here's what we've got to do. We've got to stop treating symptoms. And we've got to go to the source of things. what we do, don't we? We shadow box. We're fighting symptoms. If, if I were an oncologist, a cancer doctor, and some, somebody came to me with a tumor, I wouldn't say, here's an aspirin. Hope this works for you. But I'd have to diagnose, figure out what kind of tumor it is. Where did it come? How, how do I need to treat it? Does this require chemo? Does this require an operation? Is this something that I use radiation on? I don't just treat a symptom that you're, you're in pain. I have to come to the source of it. Can I tell you something? Jesus wants to go deep this year in the life of his believers, in the life of his church. Why? He doesn't want me better. He wants me free. He doesn't want me feeling better. He wants me healed. He he wants me whole. And something happens in that place of wholeness. Something happens when I begin to walk it out. Here's where I'll end. The woman gets her miracle, doesn't she? So after that miracle happens, Jairus and Jesus and a whole great crowd start walking towards Jairus' house. And all of a sudden, here come all the naysayers. Here come people trying to talk Jairus out of his miracle. They say, hey, Jairus, sorry to tell you, man. Too late for you. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher any longer. Just leave him alone. It's too late. And Jesus said, basically tells him, shut up, sit down, get away from me. And he said, looks at Jairus and says, don't be afraid. She's not dead. She's only sleeping. Don't fear, only believe. And it was very important what Jesus did. I don't think Jesus stopped. When the negativity came, I don't think Jesus stopped. I think Jesus kept walking towards Jairus' house. I don't think he let Jairus stop and sit in the, negative, in the negativity. He just said, hey, let's keep going. Don't be afraid. Don't doubt. Just believe. And they get to the house. And, and that day you had paid mourners. People would show up and you would pay them to mourn and scream and cry tears and cause a big fuss. Just drama. Sounds like a lot of churches I've been to. Drama. Anybody want a year without drama and trauma? Come on. And, and, and all of this drama. And, and basically Jesus said, police. Save the drama for your mama, right? I mean, just. That, that's the New International Day version. It's just. He just said, why all of this chaos? Why all of this turbulent nonsense? Why all of this screaming and shouting and crying? She's dead. The girl's dead. It's over. Should have been here, Jesus. But you stopped for that woman you shouldn't even talk to. And Jesus tells them to be quiet. Actually, the Bible says he put them out. He said, you can't even come in here with me. Get, get away. And he just takes, he just takes Peter, James, and John, sons of thunder, with him into the room. And he cries out in Aramaic, little girl, arise. And the little girl comes forth. Here's where I'm going today. Was Jesus going with Jairus? In the beginning of what I started reading to you, was Jesus going to Jairus? 
Jairus was going with Jesus. Jesus was going with Jairus to his house, wasn't he? It tells me something. It was Jairus' time. But it was this woman's turn. And it may be your time, but not your turn. Are you hearing me? But delay isn't denial. I've got a prophetic word for this house today. And here's the word. It's not only your time, but it's your turn. You may feel like you've had a miracle interrupted. You may feel like you are on your way to this great miracle uh, season of your life. You may feel like, man, God was about to really show up. And all of a sudden, in the midst of everything starting to go right for you in your life for once, everything shifted and turned around again. That is not a time to throw a pity party. It's not time to go negative Nancy. If your name is Nancy, no offense, right? You, you, but it's not a time to, to just say, God failed me. He forgot me. He, he, he doesn't care about me anymore. You come to the realization that there is a greater miracle ahead of me. That Jesus didn't stop coming with me. We, we just stopped to do something here, but we're keeping on going. We're keeping moving towards our miracle. It may feel like you hit a speed bump or a mountain, but you still have that same anointing to speak to the mountain and come to go into the sea. Are you hearing me today? That I believe right now more than ever before, the spirit of the Lord is present with us and in this house, that it is our time and it is our turn. It is our miracle year. It is that year of Jubilee that Jesus uh, has been talking about. I believe that God is bringing us into a place of a whole new perspective. What I thought was dead may just be dormant. Can I tell you something? Second week of January, 19, 19, yeah, 2019. Winter is over. The springtime has come. Are you hearing me? I I believe right now there's a spring and winter. There's a song that I've been listening to quite often. It's called Cherry Blossoms. And the words are this. In winter, I believe you. In springtime, I see you. Sometimes when everything's dead and everything's dormant and you can't see the flowers and the trees lost their leaves, not here in South Florida, but everywhere else, right? You think everything's dead. It's just dormant. But spring's coming. I was looking at my magnolia trees. I have, I have a magnolia tree that's like an the evergreen one like we have here. And then I have those that are deciduous. I've got four of them, and I, I look this week at, the, at my magnolia, the deciduous ones, and I realize, oh, there's, there's a fuzzy bud. And it looks like winter, but spring's coming. There's hope there. there there's evidence that there's life there. And I'm here to tell you right now that God is about to bring you into a new place of life. See, I love John 10, 10. It says that the devil comes or the enemy comes or the thief comes to, to kill, steal, and destroy. He comes to kill your body, steal your goods, destroy your relationships. But Jesus said, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. How many of you know Jesus had the first word and he has the final word? He has the first word and the final word. He is the first and the last. He's the alpha and the omega. He's not just the author, but he's the finisher of my faith. One translation said he's the author and the perfecter of my faith. And I'm here to tell you right now that we are in a season where whatever he's authored in you, he's about to perfect. I love what my friend Heidi Baker said. The only way you lose is if you quit. From looking around this room today, I don't see any quitters. Come on, we've come this way and God didn't bring us all this way to fall down, quit or turn around. I know it. you may feel like your miracle's been interrupted. Your momentum has stopped. But I'm telling you right now, there's a fresh wind coming. That God is about to move us into a place of the miraculous like never before. For your body, for your soul, for your mind. He can turn things around and suddenly your, your, your little affliction, your past addictions no, no longer mirror you. No longer follow you because you'll turn around and go, oh, just goodness and mercy again. Aren't you glad? Come on, we were singing that song that, that in the presence of my enemies. I love that, man. He sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup, it overflows. I used to think that it meant that when God set a table for me in the presence of my enemies, they had to sit there and watch me eat and I could make fun of them. Then I got this revelation. What if my enemies are as hungry as I am? What if my cup is overflowing so I can meet their needs and my enemy can become my friend? 
That's what Jesus did, isn't it? He caused his life to overflow, his blood to overflow so that the foes of God could become the friends of God. The enemies of God could be called sons and daughters of God. It's the beauty of the gospel, my friends. Come on, I'm here to tell you right now that what I've preached to you this morning is more than a nice Bible lesson. It is a prophetic word to you and to this house. Whether you've been saved your whole life or whether you've just been in the kingdom for a couple of weeks or maybe today you're, you're, you're sitting on the fence. I'm here to tell you that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is in this room today. And he's not mad at you, he's madly in love with you. That he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Come on, I believe right now the greatest days for our lives, the greatest days for this house, the greatest days for Pastor Dan in Australia, the greatest days are right in front of us, the greatest days for you personally, the greatest days for us corporately, the greatest days for the kingdom of God and the church are right in front of us. Come on, I believe right now there's a major shift of momentum coming. Come on, I believe he's about to fill this house with his goodness, with his glory, with his joy again. Here's where I'll close. I, I woke up twice in the night laughing. It's been a long time since I've really just dreamed dreams just to dream dreams. And both dreams I, I had last night caused me to wake up laughing. One of them, there was this elderly lady. She was in her, in her 80s. And she grabbed one of these double-decker buses like you see in London. And she was driving and she was crashing into things and she just laughed about it and, and kept on her way. And I kept saying, don't you think you need to report that? She goes, oh no, honey, this is a joy ride. And I realized what the Lord was speaking to me. That God is taking this house off of the roller coaster ride and bringing you on the joy ride. He's bringing us out of that place. We've been up and down and we're going on a joy ride. Are you going to bump into some things? Absolutely. Are you going to laugh about it? Absolutely. Come on, I believe. Now don't go stealing any buses. Are you hearing me? But here's what I believe. The joy... Youthful joy is about to come on on older people and younger people alike today. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Come on, if, if the enemy's been after anything already in me in the, last, in the first 14 days of this year, it's been after my joy. And I'm telling you right now, the joy of the Lord is coming back to us. The joy of my salvation. Come on. Come on. This is a moment of turnaround. This is a moment where it is your time and your turn. Close your eyes, bow your head with me. I know I kept you late, but that's what guest preachers do. Father, I thank you for who you are. And that's good. Everything about you is good. Jesus, your loving kindness is better than life. But it was your kindness 22 years ago, that brought me to repentance. The moment I realized you weren't angry with me, but you love me in spite of me. Lord, it's not been easy, but it sure has been worth it. Lord, there's never been a day where I felt forgotten or forsaken because you've become my best friend. Nothing compares to you. The high of alcohol and drugs doesn't compare to you. The depths of my old depression doesn't compare to you. Lord, you've conquered my fear, my shame. Even my fascination with death, you've conquered it. Lord, your truth came on January 17th, 1997, and you made me free. Your light came in my darkness. Your love came in my self-hate. Your compassion came to this abused young man. Your anointing broke off every addiction. Your salvation broke the chains of shame. Your glory dissolved my guilt. Your perfection and purity healed me of all my pain. Lord, your love covered You blotted my sins out. That's why I'm here today. 
And even when I was serving you and I messed up, you didn't throw me away, you didn't kick me out, but you drew me close. Or if I were to continue reading for the joy that was set before you endured the cross, or the next verse would say that you chastise those you love, you don't push them away, but you draw them close. Lord, thanks for drawing us close. Lord, today I thank you that every mask of secrecy is being removed. We take it off. We don't want to hide, God. You see it all anyway. Lord, I think you love us more than we'd ever know or dream or imagine. Lord, I thank you right now. Lord, maybe even in my vulnerability today, Lord, I take my mask as this presbyter, overseer, pastor, prophet. However people look at me, Lord, I just take it off and just say, hey, we're all in this together. Our eyes are on the prize. We're not perfect, but we're pure-hearted. Lord, I thank you right now for healing people from secrets today. I'm going to ask every eye to be closed, every head to be bowed. I'm not going to prolong today. But I believe this is a revelatory message. And every revelation requires a response. Every eyes closed, every head bowed. There's no shame, no condemnation. You're here today, you say, Dave, I've got secrets that I've just kept over the years. I don't want to lay my secrets at the cross. Not asking you to tell me, not asking you to shout it out, write it down. Not asking you to come forward with it. Dave, I'm going to lay, I want to lay my secrets at the cross today. I'm talking to you. I just want you to acknowledge it and say, I'm going to respond to that revelation. Just lift your hand. You put it right back down. I'm laying my secrets at the cross. Hands all over the room. There's no shame in that. I just break off shame, condemnation. In Jesus' name, Lord, we lay our secrets at the cross. You say, Dave, I find myself isolating, wanting to pull back. Sometimes I get easily offended. Sometimes I feel nobody understands me and maybe the church and be better without me. Or maybe you think like I used to think, if they really knew where I came from, they wouldn't want me around. Couldn't be further from the truth, my friend. If you feel like yourself isolating, come on, I believe the Lord wants to break that off of you today. You say, Dave, that's me. I've been isolating. I feel separated. And I, I just need to lay that down at the cross today. Again, eyes are closed, heads are bowed. That's me, David. I, I need to lay my separation and isolation down. Just lift your hand, put it right back down. All over the room today. Come on, we don't have to struggle alone. One of the biggest lies I used to believe was nobody would understand. If I shared with you my weakness as a leader, you wouldn't want to follow me, you wouldn't respect me. Couldn't be further from the truth. Lord, I break that right now. You're the friend that sticks closer than any brother. And Lord, I just thank you right now that, Lord, you're shutting the back door of this house. Come on, I'm prophesying to you right now that God is shutting the back door to the house. He's shutting the back door to his house, not just this church, but I declare this is a year, God, where you're shutting the back door. People aren't going to be able to escape destiny and purpose. Or if you're dealing with our issues, then, Lord, deal with it and do it quickly. Lord, get us through it. Heal us, Lord. Lord, right now I speak to every symptom of pain, depression, addiction, torment, perversion, lies, lust, whatever it is, God, I could list a thousand things. But Lord, you know it all. And Lord, right now, Lord, we don't want to deal with the symptom today. We want to go to the source. Lord, we say, get behind us, Satan. You no longer have a hold on us. Lord, the past is in the past. We buried it. Lord, we were buried in buried with you, God, and you res were resurrected now with Jesus Christ. So Lord, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you right now. That, Lord, maybe there's people in this room today. Maybe you're here and here's where I'll end. Maybe you're here and like I was 22 years ago, you never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you knew about God. Maybe you came to church. Maybe you've gone to programs. Maybe you made a catechism. You took communion. You all of those things. I'm not asking you any of that. I'm just asking you to know him. Maybe you're here today like I was and you didn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
today would be a good day, the second Sunday of 2019, say, Jesus, here I am. I need you to come in my life. Change me. I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. Maybe you're here. You're away from God. You've you used to walk so closely with him, but you found these issues that have separated you and you, you feel like you're not intimate with him anymore. I'm here to tell you there's a way to get over that and pass that and just say, Jesus, here I am. I'm coming back to you with my arms wide open. Lord, I need to rededicate my life to you today. If you're here in this room and you said, David, I've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life or I'm away from God, I, I'm backslidden today and I need to get right with God. Friends, I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you if you want me to include you in that prayer. It's a prayer I prayed 22 years ago. Best day of my life. Changed everything. David, I want you to include me in that prayer. I want to give my life to Jesus. Come back to him today. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just want to pray for you. You want me to include you in that prayer. I want you to lift your hand. You put it right, put it up and put it right back down. See all over the room today. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you right now. Lord, you said, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I thank you. There's no other name but the name of Jesus by which a man can be saved. Lord, I thank you that while we were yet sinners, you came, you died, gave your life for us. So Jesus, I thank you right now that, Lord, you're, you're not an idea. You're not a Bible story. You're not a theology. You're here in this place, fully God. But you're fully here with us. You're Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, today, would you come and make all of us new? In Jesus' name.